Let's just pray, shall we? Our Father, we have talked about going deeper into you and your love and your presence and your power. And Father, I pray that through your word this morning, you will help us to do just that. That you will speak into our hearts and into our minds. That Lord, something from heaven will touch us this morning. And that when we go from this place, we will feel, Lord, that you've spoken to us. That you've touched our hearts, you've touched our minds. That something real, something dynamic has taken place. We ask this for your glory. Amen. I've been given the subject this morning, and we're talking from James and chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles there, of worldliness. Now, the moment I say that word, I know, if you've been a Christian for many years, you know that has always caused a lot of controversy. What is worldliness? In my day, in my generation many years ago, worldliness was often a list of do this and don't do this. And so if you did certain things, you were worldly. And if you didn't do certain things, you were spiritual. And unfortunately, I think it missed the whole point of what worldliness is. Worldliness is not something on the surface. It's something far deeper and far more fundamental. Just as I'm talking, watch this for a moment. God gave us a very beautiful and wonderful world. It was his masterpiece. He loved us so much that he wanted us to have the best. And so it took him quite a time to create this world in which we live. And it is a beautiful world, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I enjoy going out into the country. I enjoy looking at the scenery. I enjoy so often this beautiful world that God has given us. Perhaps we can hold it there. But listen, it's not the be-all and end-all. It still is very limited. It is a physical and it is a material world. And it worked in the beginning because three times a day, God, from his world, came into this world and talked to Adam in the morning, midday, and in the evening. And in this world, two worlds met. The outer world, the supernatural world, the world where God is, and this world. But then we mucked it up. We sinned. And we found ourselves in the world that God had created, but without the Creator. And we had shut ourselves out from His world. And by giving Satan a foothold into this world, it became a divided world. You look around you. I mean, Crimea for a start. Everywhere you look, there's division. People are against one another. It's a dying world. 
Everything that's born into this world, the moment it's born, starts to die. And even the world in which we live in, Revelation said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. This is a dying world. It's a deteriorating world. You know, we, 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 we've got all this stuff, you know. Um, 1 John 1.17 says, the world is passing away. And no matter how many green parties, no matter how many things we do, we are not going to stop this world deteriorating. It is deteriorating. That is what has happened. It's a dominated world by Satan. Satan is called the prince and the power of the air. Whereas this world was meant to be a world where God was, we handed it over to Satan through our sin. And now he is the prince of the power of the air. And unfortunately, it's a deluded world. It says in the Bible, even if our gospel is vowed, it is vowed by those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this world has blinded. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody? And you said to yourself, this is a waste of space. You know, they look at you as if you've come from another world. Well, actually, you have. You kind of have entered in, and you're trying now to get your world into their world. And, and, and unless God does something, it can't happen, and it can't be done. And now we have a world that has rejected God, rejected the Bible, rejected the truth, and yet it still feels it's right. It reminds me of the drunk that was standing at a lamppost with his key trying to open his front door. And the policeman came along and he said, I don't think there's anybody at home, sir. And the drunk rather slurred, said, there must be, he said, there's a light on upstairs. And... That's the kind of world in which we live. They think there's a light on somewhere, and they're trying to get the key in, but they're at the wrong place, seeking the wrong things. Now, what is worldliness then? Well, worldliness is being totally absorbed with that world. That's all you think of, that's all you dream of, that's all you do. It, it, it's putting that world first, it's putting it at the center. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if your treasure is all based on material things, physical things, and the things you can touch, and the things you can handle, and God is kind of somewhere there, then you're worldly. No matter what you do, no matter how you act. John said this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love the Lord your you know, you cannot love God and the world at the same time. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, what about God's world? Well, it's very difficult. Because there you've got a picture, and even though I'm, Earth has disappeared, in fact, the Earth is so tiny in that universe you'd need a powerful telescope to see it from outside. It really seems to not exist. It's gone. And yet that one universe is one, we're told, of thousands, maybe millions in space. And outside of our world, friends, there is another world that is so huge and so enormous, really our minds find it difficult to take it in. And in that world... God exists. 
Now, that world's a totally different world to the world that we've made this earth. It's a God-honoring world. In that world, there's worship. It says the angels worship God night and day. Read Revelation. Read some of the scriptures there. There's some exciting scriptures there that describe that world of people worshiping God. It's a united world. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I pray that they may be one. This is a world where there's no division. Not the slightest hint of it. It's one. It's a holy world. It's a world where there's love, kindness, long-suffering. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation that concerning heaven, and there shall by no means enter heaven anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. (coughs) It's an everlasting world. I want to tell you, friends, you may think you're going to be here a long time, but even if you live to be 120, that time is, is minute in comparison to the eternity you are eventually going to live in. It's rather like the world as we saw it and the universe as we see it now. That's the comparison. This will go on forever and ever and ever. It's an everlasting world. I used to run a little uh, children's club, and from that children's club, we got some of the older kids around home and had a kind of a teenage um, uh, cell. Alison and Gareth were in it. And... um, one day I, I, I said to them, you know, I think what I want you to do, I want you to write down on three bits of paper, and I gave them three bits of paper, the three things you value the most. And so I saw them writing down. I could see one or two of them writing their, you know, their, their phone and their computer and things. And I said, right, I said, there's a storm and a flood. And everything in your house gets destroyed. Everything you've written down on a bit of paper, drop it in the box. And I watched them with great agony, some of them, throw some of the things they had into the box. I said, um, <coughs> now I said, there's an earthquake and all your family die and you're left by yourself. Throw anything to do with your family in the box. And I went through this, disaster after disaster. And, and you know, some of the kids, one girl was in tears because she had to throw into the box a computer. That was how big it was. And when we finished, I asked, how many of you have got some, a paper left? And a few of them had written down Jesus as the most valuable thing in their lives, but only a few. And you know, friends, when it all comes to an end, the one thing that remains and will always remain is God and the world in which he lives. It's a supernatural world. It's a satisfying world. And friends, I've got news for you. You were not created primarily just to live on that little earth. You were created to live in God's world. That's what God created you for. That's why God came down morning, noon, and night and met with Adam. Adam and Eve, they experienced in a very real in a very precious way, that other world. And friends, that's why, perhaps you can switch it on please again. You know, one of the problems is that you look at this universe and you think to yourself, little dot earth, where am I in all that? Do I matter? Do I count? Is there any point? 
Watch carefully. Because 2,000 years ago, God felt you were so important in that little world that he sent his son to die upon the cross. And if you'd have been the only one, he would have still come. Why did he come? Why did he die? Because he didn't want you just to know this world. He wanted to know you to know the world beyond and to live in that world and to be the superhuman being he intended you to be. Which world are you living in? What's number one? Where's your treasure? You know, it's a problem. If you make this world your treasure, you take on board all the problems of this world. There are Christians in the church, I believe today, who are struggling with their Christianity. And, and, and they can't somehow break out into the very freedom we've talked about this morning. Because what is happening is they're not living in the world that God intended them. And what they're doing is they're living in this life. Their treasures are all to do with this life, to do with this world. And they're taking on board what this world is. It's a, now, that's what James chapter 1 and verses 1 to 6 are all about. Perhaps we can see the first six verses. James 1 said this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for, ple for pleasure, that war in your members? The first thing we see about this world is a world of disorder. And then verse 2 says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. It's a world of dissatisfaction. Where do you find people that are absolutely satisfied with life? I mean, what is going on? We've got people who are struggling and we've got people who are earning millions. And millions, even when they're, what they're running, fails. And they still want more. More, more, more. Why? Because there's an inner dissatisfaction that will never be satisfied apart from God. There's denial. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Even when you pray, you don't get your answers. Why? Because you're not living for the world that you're talking to. You're living for the world here. And your prayers, and God denies you. There's disconnection. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, enmity against God? God sees worldly people as people that are committing adultery. They're turning their love away from him to something else. And there's immediately a disconnection between them and God. Friend, do you know, it's impossible to come into the presence of God if your heart is not in the presence of God. If your heart is somewhere else. If it's in the things around you. I mean, when you were worse, when you came to church, let me, let me ask you a little simple practical question. Yeah, here's, a, here's an easy one. You came to church this morning. As you came out of the house and you saw the sun, did it go through your mind, wow, what a lovely day to go to church and worship? Or did it go through your mind, well, I could be on the beach today? Now you think about it. Where your heart is, there is your treasure. You see, friends, we, we, we need to understand 
what worldliness is. And, and, and if we've come with that attitude, we've been, and, and we've seen people worshipping, and we've talked about the presence of God, and, and, and you've sat there and you've been thinking, I can't get this, I can't get in, I can't experience this. Well, where's your heart? How can you expect to experience God when your heart's not with him? Well, it's somewhere else. And it brings disconnection. The next verse, it brings delusion. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? In other words, we, we misinterpret God's word. We, we don't get it. And, and we take on the delusion of the world. And last of all, we deprive ourselves. But it says he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. We deprive ourselves of God's goodness. We deprive ourselves of God's grace. And we deprive ourselves of God's gifts. And here's a God. And he loves us. And he's longing. He's, he, he just, he just, he's got all these things there. And he's wanting to give them to us. But we've deprived ourselves of those very things. Because we put them on the back burner. And we're living for the world. A young woman went into a shop. And she saw this invention. She hadn't seen one before. And she said um, to the assistant, what's that? He said, that's a thermos flask, man. She says, what does he do? Well, it says, it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Wow, she said. I must have one of them. So she took it home. And then she went to see some friends. And she took a thermos flask with her. And they said, wow, they said, what's that? She said, it's a thermos flask. It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. So he said, what have you got in it? She said, a hot cup of coffee and two scoops of ice cream. <laughs> you can't mix it. You'd rather go one or the other in. And it's exactly the same with the Christian life. It's either Jesus or it's the world. Now, some of you, I think, now are a bit confused. You're thinking to yourself, well... This Christianity sounds to me a bit boring. You know, what, what, what about this world? What about the things of this world? What about my home, my car, and all these things? Well, what James does in the next six verses, and perhaps we've, if we haven't got them up, perhaps we can have the next six verses up. What James does now, he gives us a cure for worldliness. In fact, he tells us how to live so that we can live in this world and still enjoy it. And this is what he does. He talks about six very, very simple things. Number one, verse seven. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Number one, resignation. For goodness sake, accept the fact you cannot do without God and resign yourself to him. Don't keep fighting. Somebody said this. When you have nothing left but God, then for the first time you become aware that God is enough. And that is absolutely true. Stop trying to find satisfaction, to find enjoyment, to find life in everywhere else but in God. Seek him. Resign yourself to the fact. And remember, it's got to be a resolute resignation. Therefore, submit. and the, It means submit yourself. You have to do it. You have to resign yourself. 
You, God will not force himself on you. God will, God's presence is here. He will there. He will hover over you. He will be so close that you can, you can just touch him. But you've got to touch him. You've got to reach out. And when you do, he's there. Resign yourself to that fact. But notice it's a resisting resignation. It's not a kind of sit back and say, I resign, Lord. No, no. You've got to do something as well. When the devil comes along and says, it ain't working, you say, get off. And you go. The devil's like a postman. He comes to the front door. I've got a parcel of depression. Do you want it? And you know what? We say, oh, yeah, I'll have it. And the Bible says, resist him. Resist him. Say, no, I don't want it. Off you go. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I'm resigned to him. I'm living for him. And you will find it worse because it says it's a rescuing resignation and he will flee from you. You see, the devil, the devil only gets on with people who kind of give him his own way. But the moment you start to resist him, the moment you do what Jesus said and start to quote the word, the moment you resist him, you become more than conquerors through him who loved us. So resign yourself to the fact that you need God. Accept the fact and seek him. And then go for relationship. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Lord Monaghan, the late president of the Royal College of Surgeons, and one of the greatest surgeons of all time, was operating before a very distinguished group of fellow surgeons. How can you work with such a crowd around you? A friend asked. Lord Monaghan smiled and answered, Oh, there are just three people as far as I'm concerned in the theatre when I operate, the patient and myself. Three said, his friend, that's only two. Who's the other? God, said Lord Monaghan. And you know, when you start bringing God into everything, and you start recognizing your need of a relationship with him, then everything begins to fall into place. I've said it before, friends, and can I say it again? How much time do you spend in prayer? You say, I haven't got time. How much time do you spend in front of the television? Imbibing the other world. How much time do you spend with God imbibing his world? It's an active relationship. Draw near to God. Do something. Find time to prayer. Make it something that's part of your life. It will be an answered relationship, and he will draw near to you. You know, I don't know whether you realize, friends, how much God is so close to you at this moment, and how much he's just longing to pour himself into your life and for you to experience him, an experience that exceeds anything else. I remember being in a meeting many, many years ago, and a young guy came out who was clearly high on drugs. And, and the evangelist prayed for him. And as he prayed for him, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he just fell to the floor. He stood him up, and you could see all the kind of the, the, the glazed eyes and all the whole stuff about drugs, it had disappeared. And here was a guy that was beaming and free. And the evangelist said to him, how do you feel, son? And the only way he could describe it was say, I feel high, man. I feel high. <laughs> if you want a real high, experience God. Draw near to him and he will answer you. Verse 8 says, cleanse your, hearts, you, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Repentance. Friends, get rid of the stuff that offends God. I wonder sometimes how much we've allowed things to come into our lives. 
Repent of sinful actions. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. What have you done this week that really didn't please God? Don't get into knots about it. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Because he loves to forgive. Don't get yourself all into condemnation. Yes, be a bit convicted about it, but be convicted enough to say, God, I'm sorry. I'll try not to do it again. And hand it over to him. And not just things you've done, but things you've failed to do. What about that person that came across your path? And God said into your spirit, whisper something. Witness to that person. And you failed to do it. Well, tell God you're sorry. Let's have a spirit of repentance. Repentance of sinful affections and purify your hearts. Not just bad behavior, but what's in our hearts. Is your heart really for God? You know, the church at Laodicea, God said to them, I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were either cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty strong verse, isn't it? Lukewarm people make God sick. He'd rather you be against him than half-hearted. But he'd rather you be for him. And friends, we need to repent of some of the, the ways in which sometimes we we tackle this Christian life. Repent of sinful avoidance, you double-minded. The things you avoid. You know, sometimes we're like Christians. We, we put our heads in the sand like the ostrich. Whereas Joshua stood up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What is God challenging you with this morning? Over the past few weeks as you've listened to the word of God, What has really come home to you? Have you stood up to it? Or have you avoided making the decision? We need to repent. But then number four, remorse. Verse eight says, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, this is not just repenting of sin. This is something that grips you when you look at sin and you're disgusted by it. When you look at the world around about you, And it makes you sick. And and somehow, you know, like Daniel. Daniel saw his own people. And he repented, not of his sin, but of the people's sin. And he cried out to God. What do you think when you look around you? Those of you that live on some of these estates. When you see the division. You see the kids. Like Gareth spoke to that young man. And you see the, the kind of home life they've got. You see what's going on. I mean, I, I, in the last 15 years, wherever I've lived, there's always been a home in our little street where there's been a divorce and where there's been division. And, 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 and I've seen the sadness. I can, I can remember one couple that, that lived in our street. They were in a house and they decided to buy a bigger house. They thought by being in a bigger house, they could kind of sort things out and they could get things done. Instead, things got worse. And I remember them shouting at each other in the street, screaming at the top of their voice. And, you know, I like the couple. I met up with the guy. I met up with the wife at times. We talked to them. And, 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 and I, you saw what it was doing to them and to the kids. What does it make you feel when you see it? Do you, does it grieve you? Do you feel a, a sense of remorse? 
a serious remorse, lament and mourn, a sorrowful remorse. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. When was the last time you wept for your neighbours? You see, when we start to do these things, you can't be worldly. It's not impossible because now you're focused on different things. Reverence. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. How much do you respect God this morning? When we were worshipping and when we were praising God, was there a sense of reverence and awe that you were stood in the presence of God? Or were you looking around talking, thinking about other things? Or was your mind completely focused on him? You know, there's something about reverence. It's a, it's a visible reverence. Humble yourself. It's something you can see. It's when people come in. You know, you know, you can be in a meeting and people can come in who are not Christians. And they see you worshipping. They recognize there is something that you are doing that's not, you know, they can't put their finger on it but they respect it because they see the reverence. They see the worship. It's victorious reverence, and he will lift you up. You know, if you want to be lifted up in a meeting, you put yourself under the hand of God, and he will bless you. And last of all, and this is interesting, this last one, because we've touched on it already. Renewal. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, and he is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Friends, there needs to be a determination to change our behavior and have a different way of behaving. And notice this renewal is, first of all, a renewal in our relationships and our fellowship with each other. Gareth talked about it last week, didn't he? Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. For goodness sake, stop pointing the finger at one another and start looking in your own heart. That's what he's saying. Stop gossip and slander and negative talk. Be understanding of others. Mother Teresa said this, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. And friends, there needs to be a renewal of fellowship. There needs to be a renewal of love, one for the other. But there also needs to be a renewal of freedom in Christ. He talks a lot about the law there. Now, do you know what happens when you become worldly? You become legalistic. You have religion. But when you have Christ, you come into freedom. And Here's the amazing thing. If you do all the things that I've told you to do, suddenly you find yourself free to enjoy the things that are around you. Suddenly, the car, the home, the holiday, the money, and all these things, because they're now in their rightful place, you don't feel guilty about them. You enjoy them. And you can. I enjoy a good meal. Don't you? I love it. Every Monday. Maxine and I go to the slug and letter that's half price on a Monday. 
and have a meal out. We sit by there on the good days and sit by the sea and watch it. I love it. I love it. I thank God I've got a reasonable car. I enjoy going out for a drive sometimes. I thank God he's given me a, a reasonable home. But they're not the be-all and end-all. I want Jesus to be the be-all and end-all because when he is, I'm free to enjoy the rest. And that's where they went wrong with worldliness. They put you into bondage about don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and don't do this. Well, natural God is saying, yeah, you can do it, but put me first. Get me in the right place. And then you can really have a great life. And you can really have an enjoyable life. And listen, friends. The people that have got it all actually are the most miserable people on earth. Do you know, when Alexander the Great died, the man who had conquered the whole known world, the man who had wealth beyond wealth, he asked that when he died, he'd be left with his hands open to show that he had nothing to take with him. Interesting. And friends, if we do not put God first, if we do not allow him to rule our lives, we will find ourselves not only not enjoying Christianity, but not enjoying the world outside as well. In fact, we'd be miserable in both worlds. Can I ask you this morning, as I close, which world are you living for? Is Jesus really number one? This morning as you were worshipping, were your eyes really upon him? When was the last time you experienced God's world and he broke into your life with all of his power and with all of his glory and you were so overwhelmed as you felt his presence and he felt his power? Friends, God wants you to live in his world. That's why he died upon the cross. God wants you to experience his world. But it will only come when you're prepared to do those things, when you're prepared to put him first. And when you do, you will have a life. I tell you, you will have a life that will be exciting, that will be thrilling, that will be tremendous. Because you put him in his rightful place and you put him first. As Dad uh, was talking, I was thinking about monkeys. Sorry to uh, break the moment of reverence there. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of these little traps where they build a box and they put a hole and they put some food in the box and the, the hole is just big enough for the monkey to get their hands through the hole. But when they grab the food, they can't get their hand out of the hole and they're trapped. And just to close in prayer this morning, I just want you to think about what, what have you reached into this world and grabbed hold of that the Lord wants to bring some freedom. He wants you to enjoy this world. But you're holding on to something so strongly that you're trapped and you can't get your hand out. Just close your eyes for a moment. What's your, what's your bit of food? What's your thing? 
Maybe we've already prayed about it this morning. Lord, thank you that when you made this world for Adam and Eve, you gave them freedom to enjoy everything that you had created. But there was one thing, and it was their little monkey box, that, Lord, they reached in and they grabbed hold of. And, Lord, as soon as they did, it brought restriction and pain and hurt. And Lord, this morning, we just want to let go. We want to let go of the things that we're holding on to right now. That stuff, Lord, it's not even bad stuff. It could be stuff that you have made. It could even be a person. Could it, maybe some people here this morning, they're thinking about a relationship that they have. And Lord, somehow, somewhere, that relationship has become bigger than you. And Lord, nothing, nothing can be bigger than you. So Lord, as we close this morning, we just want to let go of whatever it is in our lives that has, has taken the place of you. And we thank you, Lord, that as we let go, as we say sorry, as we repent, as we turn away, that Lord, we can, we can be free, we can be released from the power of those things. And we can enjoy this world made by you because Lord, as we've heard this morning, we're putting you first. So we close this morning with a determination to put you first, to keep you first, to make you first. That Lord, above everything else, we want to know you. We want to know you, Lord. Amen.